Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder Podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to a special edition of History Hacker. We have already put out today uh, History Matters, which was a panel discussion about um basically statue bashing and the events of the last week or so and why they were terrible. But we wanted to address separately uh, the concept of Churchill because this lit up um, in a bad way the Twitter of all the people that are kind of involved on this conversation. So Alina invited Roger Morehouse down, who's going to talk about German perspectives. Hi, Roger. Hi, how are you doing? And to talk about Churchill and to, to kind of lead the opinion on this is Peter Caddick Adams, who is currently working on a book about Churchill, uh, of course, published many books on World War II. Hi, Peter. Hi, Alex and Alina. Good morning. Oh, right. I just, where do we start? So the gist of it is, isn't it, that last week someone decided to deface a statue of Winston Churchill and then suddenly he was the enemy of the people and some of us were caught in the crosshairs because uh, a lot of accusations were levelled at him. So we wanted to come on here and, and talk about the actual history and the context behind it because it's something that you can't do on Twitter in 280 ca- uh, characters or whatever the hell it is. Mm. Um, I think just to start us off, if you go back 10 years, you'll be offended by people. Um, Little Britain's being pulled off screens because it's no longer palatable. Matt Lucas said they 100% couldn't have made that now. Um, Are him and David Williams evil, disgusting people? Uh, No, of course they're not. Um, The further back you go, you'll find language, opinions, policy that we now find disgusting. It's human nature. It's because we have evolved. I mean, have we evolved enough? No. Uh, but you will find that people and nations have progressively changed the way they operate, the way they treat minority groups and each other um, in a civilised country. But you can't rewrite or censor history because it offends you. And you can't fish out one letter or one action and pillory a historical figure when you don't understand the context or the facts behind it, which is why, I mean, I suspect we're talking to a brick wall in some cases here guys but I think generally speaking if you are not grown up enough to understand that history is a complicated mess and that human beings are flawed then you're going to spend a lot of your life ranting and raving and wasting your energy and not achieving very much at all um there are of course notable exceptions Hitler being one he was a maniac um Peter in your opinion is Churchill one of these exceptions well there's absolutely no question that he wasn't any of those we can dive into his uh, sort of historical record in in lots of detail. Um, But essentially, I think one of the problems we have uniquely in the United Kingdom 
is that history is optional at school from the age of 14. And if you pick it up because you suddenly find you're interested in it, um, that's later on in your career at school or university. And there's a gap. And so history is taught in quite a simplistic, childish way, really up until um, you're, you're heading towards GCSEs. And then it becomes a proactive choice. So there's a big gap in people's information. And I think that's what we're hitting here, that a lot of people are just responding to um, you know, the very shortcuts that we find that, that social media give us. Uh, and there's a lot of ignorance out there. This is why it's so good to be able to discuss these uh, at length and no doubt arouse a few people. But also, I think this is a, a, a bit of a process of education. And a lot of other countries around the world, history is part of the national narrative. It's far more important. Uh, and therefore, you're taught who, who your heroes and villains really are. Whereas here, it's just sort of left and if you, if, if you have an interest in Churchill or whoever it is, you read a bit more uh, or, or you do your sort of GCSEs and your A-levels and, and, and a degree maybe. But th that's what we're dealing with here. There's a sort of big black hole of ignorance about who Churchill was and, and um, you know, what he contributes to uh, world and British history. So that's my starting point. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there are three, three groups in the United Kingdom who really don't like uh, Winston Churchill. One of the trade unions, um, because he allegedly sent the, uh, the troops to suppress uh, striking miners and other people before the First World War. Um, so the extreme left have, have always been suspicious of him, despite the fact he worked in coalition with them very well throughout the Second World War. Um, then there's the Irish community, uh, because uh, Winston Churchill was Secretary of State for War in 1919 and 1920, at the height of the Irish Civil War, just prior to um, Irish independence. Uh, and then the third group uh, are those from sort of um, the Indian community, uh, because in the height of the Second World War, uh, Churchill um, directed that... Uh, uh, that food would not go to Bengal, where there was a huge famine, uh, and as a result, uh, several million people died. Uh, and we need to examine the sort of wider context of why he might have done that. But of course, there was a big world war raging at the time, uh, and there are plenty of good reasons for his defence. So, so there are three separate communities who all hate Winston Churchill for different reasons, but there is a commonality, and that is he is the government minister in charge of whatever was going on of the, uh, of the British government's sort of reaction. And therefore, he's the figurehead uh, and the target uh, of people's wrath. Obviously, he did make statements, didn't he, about um, native populations being inferior to white ones, which were not rare at the time. That doesn't mean they're okay, um, but they weren't rare at the time. Can you put those in context for us? Yeah. So we can say that Winston Churchill made comments about different races and nationalities that today we would find unacceptable. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not trying to defend those in any way at all. But what we can do is put them in context and say that what Winston Churchill wasn't was a racist um, or a white supremacist. What he was talking about, which is what he believed in at the time and was relevant, is relevant to this debate, is that he believed in the British Empire. He thought that the governance from London was a good thing. Um, and therefore, he... His, in his mind, 
uh, British governments around the world wasn't about keeping other people down. It was about bringing the benefits of what he saw uh, from the United Kingdom to other countries in the world to help them grow in their own democratic institutions. And that's really at the heart of it. Um, and therefore, growing up in the United Kingdom, where everyone was white, uh, looking at other races, um, uh, he, yes, I mean, he was, he was arrogant, I think, rather than being a racist. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but if you remember that he's also been accused of, of putting down white trade unionists in the United Kingdom, the Irish population, it, his, his comments aren't directed against particular races or, or minorities. Um, his comments are offensive to us today, but his heart is in the right place. This isn't all about um, London being the centre of the universe better than everyone everywhere else, and anyone whose skin colour is different is somehow inferior. He, that's not what he's saying, and that's not at the heart of what he believes. I mean, if we look at Winston Churchill's earlier career, um, his first uh, military encounters were on what was then the northwest frontier uh, of India, today Afghanistan, uh, and then later on at the Battle of Omdurman in 1899 uh, in, uh, in North Africa, in Sudan. Uh, and in both cases, um, he was involved in saving the, the lives of his troops. Uh, and in both cases, there are recorded instances where um, some of the troops that, uh, that he was uh, instrumental in sheltering, in rescuing, uh, in taking to safety when they were wounded, were those who, uh, who were minority troops, who were, whose skin colour was different. So it, you know, inbuilt in him, there is no inherent racism uh, and, and, and sort of white supremacist ideas. Um, we are laying late, later terminology onto his sort of political mindset and strategic vision but in in if we look at the man he's a good man uh, and when he sees people in distress he does something about it irrespective of their skin color irrespective of their race or of their nationality or anything else yeah i think as well as what you're saying essentially is that um churchill himself is not a white supremacist racist who hates ethnic minorities what he does represent is the kind of imperial stance that we do now find or people do now find offensive about our history um and that he like you say because he is leading the government departments um at the time he becomes to epitomize um a part of our history that we're now really not proud of I think that's absolutely right. And you, you, you said that far more concisely than I, Alex. But um, essentially, if you want to accuse him of being an imperialist, of assuming that the British Empire has got it right and everyone else has got it wrong, then he's guilty. He's guilty 110%. But that's not the same as being a white supremacist or a racist. Uh, and, and his motivation and that of many of his contemporaries from his times, which are you know, they're over a hundred years ago now, well, well, well gone, is, is that uh, of trying to bring the benefits of what he thought and assumed the, the, uh, the uh, United Kingdom and, and Great Britain had benefited from and wanting to spread those around the world. And that's something completely different. Um, I just want to check in with Roger. Roger, you're here primarily to give us the context on Hitler when we begin to talk about people comparing the two. Um, yeah. But do you believe that Churchill was just an out-and-out -out racist? Not at all. No, I, I, I agree with the, the two of you. My silence was uh, was agreement. Um, mm. 
you know, I mean, as you both said, you know, Churchill is uh, a child of the empire. He grows up in, you know, through the, um, in the 19th century, where those are the defaults of, of uh, Englishmen and Britons of, of that generation. Um, I think for a lot of us, you know, we, we kind of, certainly looking at World War II, which is in, within living memory, just about, for, for, you know, our generation now, um, we sort of forget that Churchill was pretty old already. He was already quite advanced in his years. I think he was 66 by the time he actually, you know, took, took power in 1940, which is quite remarkable. So he's someone that, you know, he was preparing for retirement by the time he actually got to the, the, the defining moment of his life. Um, and bear in mind again that, you know, one of the most remarkable things I always think about Churchill is that a lot of his earlier um, enterprises and efforts and, and the, the, the things that he was associated with, look at Gallipoli, for example, um, you know, essentially are failures. And I think by his own standards, until 1940, he would have counted himself probably to have been something of a failure or at least a mixed success. So, um, you know, he was someone that, that was would be as, as critical of himself for, for decisions that he made and the rest of it uh, as any that anyone else would be. But but uh, crucially, I think, you know, though he makes mistakes and there are, um, again, with that, with that in parentheses, judged by modern standards, he had some opinions that are that are problematical. But, you know, uh, the good that he did in standing up to. Uh, Hitler in 1940 and beyond in leading that grand alliance uh, that defeats Nazism um, and and standing up really, you know, from my perspective, looking particularly looking at 1939, which is a bit of a, a sort of hobby horse of mine, um, you know, Britain is, all, all the sort of rational thought in 1940 and 1939 is for Britain to make terms with Germany because it looks, it looks like a hopeless situation. But what Churchill does is to basically rally the nation and to give it uh, a sort of a moral pitch and give it a moral cause and say this is what we're fighting against we're fighting against this racist barbarism and that i think is absolutely honorable what he did there so yes there are errors there are problems there are errors but the, the good that he did vastly outweighs uh, any of those negatives in my opinion there was another accusation made last week that churchill was guilty of genocide Peter, can you tell us a bit more about the truth behind this? Well, yeah, certainly, Alina. Um, that, that's quite easy. In the middle of the war, um, a famine uh, it developed in Bengal. Um, and the simple solution at the time would have been to divert um, all sorts of grain uh, and other food uh, from elsewhere in the empire um, by ship to Bengal. But of course, this is in the middle of um, World War II. Uh, and the Japanese submarine fleets are running riot um, in the Indian Ocean, uh, as are some German submarines and surface uh, raiders, surface warships. Uh, and therefore, Churchill, with everything else that was going on, and we're talking about things in the balance in North Africa, but the Japanese running riot all over um, uh, sort of Southeast Asia, Churchill was reluctant to use civilian ships, which might well be sunk, um, to re uh, send grain uh, to Bengal. And so the accusation is that he deliberately withheld grain uh, and other supplies that might have alleviated some of the famine uh, and therefore caused the lives uh, directly or indirectly of two or three million people. Uh, and therefore that's genocide. Um, well, I, I don't hold with any of that. Um, 
because he would have then been, uh, had, had he directed huge amounts of food to relieve the famine, he could never have stopped the famine completely, is point one. Point two is he'd be risking the lives uh, and the, the assets, the ships, uh, of all um, any surface vessels that, that could have gone to Bengal. Um, and those would, be, would have been needed to fight the war elsewhere against the Japanese and the Germans. Um, so from a purely strategic point of view, it made no sense when the, uh, the war in the Indian Ocean was still um, firmly in the balance. And then the accusation is genocide. Well, what does genocide mean? Um, it means targeting a, the, a lot of people from a specific race or group and removing them and their culture in a deliberately targeted uh, act of vandalism and slaughter. And that's not the case. That's exactly what's not happening here. There's no effort to destroy the Indian people or their culture. Um, no one's talking about book burning or pulling down places of worship or anything like that. Uh, no one's targeting people because of the color of their skin. This is a really unfortunate um, fallout and ripple from the Second World War. And had uh, the war not been going on at the time, yes, of course, uh, masses of food would have been directed to Bengal to try and alleviate the famine. It didn't happen, but that's not because Churchill didn't want it to happen. It's because, um, you know, the Second World War was taking his attention. You've only got one set of ships. Uh, you've only got one set of grain, which, of course, is needed elsewhere. But what do you do with them? Um, so if you're, if, you, if you're an Indian, of course you're feeling at the, the receiving end and Churchill is guilty because your family suffered in some way in the past. Yeah, absolutely, I get that. But the wider context is, is there was a war to be won in the cause of freedom. Uh, and that, you know, that comes at huge cost. And unfortunately, that cost was massive uh, in Bengal at the time. But it doesn't make Churchill wrong and it doesn't make him uh, some, some kind of genocidal maniac. Exactly not. So if this is 1942-43, is this not at the height of the Battle of the Atlantic as well? Is this exactly. not? I mean, this is what I, the point I was going to make. Actually. Okay, yeah. If you no, make I, that, Roger, that's great. Yeah, go, I, go for it, Roger. I agree with that. You know, your, your um, historical analysis there completely, Peter, you're absolutely right. You know, there's, there's very precious little that Churchill could have done um, to, to alleviate the, the, the famine in Bengal. And actually, from my understanding of it, there, you know, what, what was within po the bounds of possibility was done. There, there, were, uh, there were shipments of grain that were diverted and the rest of it to try and alleviate that situation. So it doesn't make historical sense to accuse him of, of genocide over Bengal, but it, it doesn't make logical sense either, if we think about it. If we devote even the slightest sensible logical thought to this, why on earth would uh, Churchill engage in some sort of genocidal policy of trying to starve the Bengalis uh, in 1942-43 uh, in, in the middle of a war. Why would he do that? Which would destabilize you know, the, the British, British rule in India right next to, to, to Burma and then to, you know, to the, uh, the battles against the, the, the Japanese in that theater. Why would you do that? It, it doesn't make any logical or historical sense. So unfortunately, this is just a product of ignorance. Yeah. I mean, it is, like you say, a horrible, horrible ripple of the Second World War, which was a global consuming 
disgusting conflict that resulted in millions of unnecessary civilian deaths. Um, so don't for one second come back and say that this podcast is advocating for like collateral damage and, and saying that these Indian lives were expendable because of course they weren't. And of course it's a tragedy. But as historians, we put things in context and we explain to you why they happened. And that's what Roger and uh, Peter are doing. And they're telling you that there are reasons that, that these events took place. And that doesn't mean the explanations are going to make you feel better. That this is World War II doesn't make anybody feel better. But yeah. I think the, the fundamental difference is between... Um, somebody who had to not divert the kind of aid that may have made a bigger difference because they couldn't or shouldn't have in a strategic context there is a difference because roger you can provide context by telling us about one actual genocidal maniac and telling us why hitler was nothing like churchill yeah there's a there's a big difference i mean i mean at, at, at root i mean we're talking this sort of broad comparison which has been forced upon us really by circumstances is, is between you know Churchill and Hitler and Stalin. Um, the key difference between them essentially is that you know at, at, at root uh, is that both Stalin and Hitler are revolutionaries and they want to violently remake the world in which they live. Whereas Churchill is is not one of those. He's not revolutionary. He wants to preserve the world in which he lives. That's a crucial difference between them. So Stalin and Hitler obviously are willing to. Uh, uh, incur enormous costs, human costs, in creating those respective worlds that they those perfect utopian worlds. For Hitler, it's a it's a race-driven utopia. For, for Stalin, it's a sort of class-driven utopia. But they're both sides are willing to uh, carry out genocides, effectively, to create that. And Hitler goes goes a long way down the road of of uh, of creating that that racial. Uh, a, a hideous utopia that he wants to make. So, um, you know, it's a comparison that is fundamentally uh, ahistorical and and historically illiterate. It's just nonsensical, uh, and it's almost like sort of throwing throwing uh, you know ridiculous accusations around in the hope that something will stick with the with those that that know nothing better. Well, um, this so is really, going to make you really angry because Alina has found the mother of all virtue signalling. Um, nonsense on twitter haven't you right. yeah i've been i've been trolling twitter for fun as you do yeah. and um i've come across this poll that was put up and it's uh just to give a bit of context about who this person is she's a young woman uh lives in australia from syria she has about one hundred and fifty thousand followers so and that's that's a lot of followers she's quite well educated um but not a historian mm. So she puts out this poll simplistically. Churchill was worse than Hitler. True or false? <laughs> exactly. And then about just over 9,000 people, 9,200 people vote in this poll. Can you have a guess at how many wrote true? Give me a rough percentage. What do you think that people wrote oh, true for? I dread to think. I dread to think. 70%. Right. Way off. 83%. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Jesus. Said Churchill was worse than Hitler. I know, I'm no no context just, just to her statement, no education behind it. No. Um, it is sheer... I mean, that's sheer it's, ignorance. It's, yeah. There's no other word for it, I'm afraid. That's, uh, and it's I'm, virtue, I'm, signal, virtue signaling and um, attention seeking of the highest order, which unfortunately yeah. is an epidemic on social media. Yes, um, I mean, I haven't, I, haven't, I haven't seen that poll. But there, there are places in the world that are quite anti-royalist and pro-republican. Um, and the United Kingdom gets it firmly um, between the shoulders uh, at, at, at times like this. Um, and there's a, you know, there's a huge Irish Republican movement who are, who are behind the anti, anti-monarchist movement uh, in Australia. And a lot of them will have jumped on the bandwagon. You see it whenever the, the, the issue of monarchy uh, rises its head uh, in Australia. And they'll have jumped on this because Churchill and the crown in a lot of people's minds are indivisible. So I can sort of see where this is coming from. Uh, and you only need to flag this kind of poll up at the wrong time. Uh, and what we're getting is a sort of disrepresentative view um, from someone who's uh, probably anti-establishment. I wish I knew more about her. I don't. Um, so I can tell you how she place. describes herself. Um, right. She's a chemist, a geopolitical analyst, counter-terrorism, contributor, chemist, millennial, um, and then she lists some media inquiries things. So she's obviously... Right, so it sounds as though she's a chemist with a few hobbies of dabbling into uh, international relations and history, which she, she knows nothing about. But it is absurd. I mean, it's absurd, an absurd thing to to make that uh, that equation between Hitler and Hitler and uh, and yeah. really quite ridiculous. I mean, historic, as I said, historically illiterate. I but should I add I mean, as well that we're not going to name her because an, in, no. we're not advocating that people go and hunt her out and and attack her no, in no. any well, way, shape, or form. Really, We've just held her up as an example, haven't we? Yeah. Of of what we've seen on a large scale in the last week. But there's a, a wider point here that I think needs making, which is that this, this um, sort of hysteria that we see, I mean, I increasingly sort of characterise the world we're living in as an age, uh, we're living in an age of hysteria. Um, but there's a wider issue here is that of the, the elimination of nuance. 
um, which is one that I find quite worrying because, you know, we go into bat and you've done very well with this, Alex, you've been very brave in putting your head above the parapet, as I've said to you. Um, we deal in nuance that to a large extent, that's what history is, right? It's the, it's the analysis, the presentation of the past. And a lot of that is shared, is saying that things are shades of gray where the popular perception is maybe much more black and white. Um, so that's a lot of what we do, but well, that's our job, uh, isn't it? Never give a straight answer. Absolutely. You can't get a, no historian will give you a yes or no answer on anything. Absolutely, absolutely right. But in, but a lot of the sort of tone of it's not even discussion, but the tone of the rhetoric that comes out of you know the, in the last couple of weeks has been first of all hysterical, but it, it, it's a a deliberate elimination of nuance. So it's black and white. You're either with us or you're against us. Um, and you know, it, Churchill was a racist. He's just as bad as as Hitler. And anyone that says otherwise is a racist as well. You know, it's it's kind of it's backing everyone into a corner where you're either you're either black or you're white. You know, in that sense that you mm. you're either with us or against us. It's a binary thing, and life just isn't like that. And certainly, you know, historianship isn't like that. That's not the way it works. And actually, I have to say that that sort of uh, elim deliberate elimination of nuance is a is a key uh, component of totalitarian systems. That's what Stalin does. That's what Hitler does. It's actually not what Churchill does historically. Not so at this all. is a very sort of totalitarian mindset, which I find quite unsettling. Uh, I really, you know, it, it bothers me that there are a lot of rather nasty trends going on beneath the surface at the moment and and this is one of them which i find profoundly worrying peter yeah i mean i i if you if we're looking at churchill as a, a particular character what he is is all-encompassing um, um he's a man who's in the business of promoting the british empire and whatever we think about it now at that time it was seen as a good thing and it encompasses every different kind of race culture and nationality and, and churchill is not differentiating between the two he's an inclusive historian he's completely colorblind uh, as far as people uh, are concerned and yes he makes derogatory comments but they're taken out of context i mean he knows that you know the, britain is not going to win in world war Two without the help of everybody else and it makes no sense to sort of start to alienate and isolate people and even try and destroy their culture which is what genocide is all about mm -hmm. so he's exactly not that kind of person um and he is the if you like what we can the accusation we might level against him uh, is that he's the preserver of the old he's a conservative with a capital yes. c um and uh in a way he's he is a vi very victorian character uh, yeah. And by 1940 and 1950, the world has moved on and he would have seen, seemed very old fashioned to people. Mm. But that's not a crime. But it's not. And that is exactly what they wanted in 1940. You wanted an old fashioned um, establishment figure who you recognise from decades of national service to wade straight in and tell you that everything was going to be OK and mm. we were going to win this thing. The alternative... Um, was Lord Halifax, who was the um, Foreign Secretary and had been um, Viceroy of India, um, who wanted to negotiate with Hitler. Mm. Uh, and, you know, this could have all ended horribly wrong. We could have ended up with a German occupation and being invited in because we'd done a deal with Hitler. You and I might still be having this uh, podcast, but we'd be having it in German if Halifax mm. had had his way. 
didn't. Everything that would have was happening in Europe would then have come to the United Kingdom with t- the targeting of the minorities uh, and, and the Jewish population. Uh, uh, you know, um, everything about Churchill is wrong. Then you're also inviting that alternative history in, yeah. which is infinitely worse than than what actually happened in the Second World War, uh, and we'd be in a very different place today. That alternative history would have been uh, genuinely genocidal as well, Peter. That's that yeah, people exactly. have to understand. Uh, one thing that um, came up again and again yesterday was the fact that the reason we, I mean, I'm not saying, none of us are saying that Churchill was perfect. He could be an absolute ratbag. People knew he was a ratbag, but they also knew he was an effective ratbag as a politician. And you don't, su- you don't survive as a politician and a public figure for the length of time that he did without having that element about you. Um, but it came up time and time again yesterday that we enjoy the freedom to protest and say things like this, um, because and and to have movements like Black Lives Matter because of people like Churchill in our history and I think it's important as well when we're talking about genocide and Hitler um, one thing that Alina does constantly is try and 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 Hitler would not have just eradicated the Jews would he Alina yeah Hitler would have eradicated everyone homosexuals gypsies everyone anyone who didn't fit in to his ideology and the Nazis warped concept of a, a better world would have gone and that included a lot of religious minorities jehovah's witnesses yeah. for example were yeah. in, in in the that were targeted as well and in the end i mean he was killing roman catholics and protestant pastors people like dietrich bonhoeffer <coughs> so even, even if you're an ordinary middle of the road um a christian of whatever faith or creed um you'd have been targeted and ended up in a concentration camp and dead at the end of that, that the full sort of process of uh, of Nazi rule. So and this is the realistic alternative history of not having Churchill. Um, this is, this uh, is and, the point that, that I think people often miss is uh, there's a sort of rather lazy description often of um, of Nazi Germany as sort of, you know, uh, on in, in some way sort of a conservative and radical conservative idea Nazism, but it's it's absolutely not. It's fundamentally revolutionary. You don't get more revolutionary than wiping out six million of a population that you that you despise. Um, you know that's a revolutionary policy by anyone's standards. So you know you have to understand that Nazism um, it, it, it is fundamentally revolutionary in its out, outlook, and it has. It's the other end of the spectrum from where, where Churchill is. So to, to compare the two is, frankly, is ridiculous. And I, th- I think one of the most offensive sights I saw was, was not the, the spray painting on Churchill's statue that first weekend of, of um, Churchill was a racist. It was the fact that the white extreme minorities who were the white supremacists came mm. that second weekend, stood round the statue and were giving Nazi salutes and shouting, see Kyle. Because yeah. Churchill and they had absolutely nothing in common Absolutely um, right. He was all about abolishing them, making sure that they didn't dominate the world. And yet yeah. through some warped um, sense of reality, they think they've got some kind of affinity with, with the great Winston Churchill. Mm. Absolutely not in any way at all. Alina, I just want to ask you, as someone who researches the very worst of what the Nazis did to people, how offended are you by people slinging around accusations about other people and saying, oh, they were just like them? I find it really disgusting. It's uh, you're desecrating the memory. Because you're not a Churchill scholar, you you 
pointedly said it's not your area but when someone says oh yeah he was just like hitler how much does that offend you as someone who has to sit and wade through what hitler did to people in auschwitz i mean i'm not i'm not the biggest fan of churchill obviously because of what happened uh, with poland Mm. but he was um, comparing him to hitler you're desecrating the memory of the millions of people that were murdered by hitler that were murdered by stalin it's it's i can't understand how you can compare a man who fought for the freedom of Europe and a man who decided to murder and brutally murder millions of people. You I think it's just com- that coming from you is really significant to me because like you said, I mean, you are, you're not a Churchill fan. You don't hate him, but that obviously like, Peter was saying that the Irish have their issues with Churchill, the Indians have their issues with Churchill, and it's usually because of some form of policy that he enacted. And with you, it's, of course, Poland. It's the fact that Poland, and and Roger will tell you this as a British person, the fact that Poland was hung out to dry in in a certain way. And not Um, once but twice. yeah, Yeah, so to hear that from you I think is significant because it just shows that you don't have to be a Churchill fan to realise that what happened last week was absolutely ignorant and ridiculous i mean i completely agree with peter he mentioned earlier it's all about education these people aren't educated and they're just sprouting things you know memes oh there's a meme with a quote let's take that out of context completely yeah. because it's, it's just a quote you know as, well, let me as, put a poll up to get attention for myself exactly. with my profile picture where i'm doing a really pretty fish pelt at everyone let's get followers i That's wonder what i wonder what my agenda is on twitter you know let's attention. get loads of followers and attention and it's it's ridiculous you know these people don't understand and i i find it i'm actually really offended at, at what they're saying Peter, let's just finish because I don't want to leave without talking about the Irish thing, but I think it's really important to note that the accusations being levelled against Churchill, again, was that he was genocidal in Ireland. Yes, exactly. I mean, if we give this a little bit of context, um, uh, the, uh, uh, those wanting independence for Ireland had risen up in the Easter Rebellion in 1916 in the middle of the First World War and had been a sort of insurgency movement against the, uh, the British. Uh, and of course, Southern Ireland then... Uh, as it was referred to, was part of the United Kingdom uh, and only gained independence uh, later on in uh, 1922. Um, But uh, throughout that time before independence, there's a sort of insurgency uh, bubbling away by those who felt that uh, the southern half of Ireland should be independent. Um, And that the Royal Irish Constabulary had been trying to deal with that uh, and were gradually losing control. Uh, And so an auxiliary force called the Black and Tans were first raised of um, unemployed soldiers, put under command of, let's face it, a really dubious um, uh, British officer called Gerald Smith or Gerald Smythe, Smith with a Y. Um, And um, he encouraged his men to commit all sorts of excesses uh, and he was eventually assassinated in return uh, by the IRA. Um, But Churchill also raised a a unit of auxiliaries, almost a division, um, who were again... um, uh, reservists called to the colours, but the, the control over their behaviour uh, was very, very loose, uh, and they antagonised the local community, um, committed a lot of excesses uh, that were then committed against them in, in turn. And the, the accusation, because Churchill had overseen the raising of these bodies, uh, was that this is all Churchill's fault, uh, and this was a, pro- a programme of targeted genocide against the Irish. Not a bit of it. Um, Churchill's unfortunate in his choice, perhaps, of some of the leaders 
Um, but it's it's a policy that anyone else would have gone to to, to raise another force to send them in um, and try and keep law and order. This is what, what it was all about. But he wasn't directly responsible for a uh, for ordering the the murder, um, incarceration, uh, uh, and, and all the rest that went on uh, of the local uh, civilian community. Uh, not a bit of it. Uh, and so the, the historical record again gets taken out of context. Um, the feelings exaggerated, and most of the accusations come from um, today's Irish community. Um, so Churchill was doing what he felt was right at the time, but you can't pin um, the behaviour of those subordinates right down at the bottom of the sort of uh, chain of command on Churchill in a sense of him saying, right, go out and commit mayhem, because that's the only way you'll bring the population to heel. That was not a bit of it at all. Churchill's Home Secretary... He, uh, he has to decide on, uh, we still had capital punishment in those days, and when Churchill was Home Secretary, he had to decide, it's the ultimate decision is him, is his, on whether to execute people. Uh, and if you look at his memoirs and, and the, all the recorded evidence, he's in agony about um, mm. whether to condemn people to death. Uh, and he has to do it uh, at various times. So, you know, human life of, of, of whoever... Uh, Human life of whatever kind is really, really important to him, and he's never, ever flippant. Uh, it's hard, it's hard to imagine Hitler or Stalin having the same qualms, is it? Just to take someone, I mean, you, everyone knows, I cannot stand David Lloyd George. Uh, I'm not going to sit on the fence, but he obviously is another wartime leader. Um, let's not talk about how he got there. He says in the front of his war memoirs, to tell the story at all is like repeating what was seen in a nightmare, that to recollect from him four and a half years of remembering how men and he says how men and women devoted energy intelligence and zeal to the work of destruction and pain but it must be told if such a calamity is to be averted in the future these were not easy decisions that these men made and they sought these positions out these positions of power they did but they made horrible decisions especially in wartime on a day-to-day -day basis not knowing what the outcome would be and just hoping that they were making the right decision and I, I think now that with the benefit of hindsight going back and evaluating those decisions and having all the time in the world to do it and to pass judgment I think you need to be careful. I agree I would, I would just end with uh, a quote from uh, from Churchill himself which I think is quite apposite for these sort of rather strange times that we're living in which is that uh, he once said, uh, a lie can be halfway around the world by the time the truth gets its boots on. Uh, I think that's probably a quite, a, quite a good way to close. Um, guys, thank you so much for coming on to give some context. Uh, we will only reach, because such is the way of the world, a fraction of the people that were making nonsensical statements last week. But I feel better for having recorded this, and I hope you do too, in that at least we're trying to put some fact and some context. And, and we keep bleating on about education, but we are trying to stand behind that. And I thank you very much for coming Absolutely. on and putting your thanks, head above Alex. the parapet and joining. Brilliant. Us. Well, thanks for getting us all together, because I think it's a really important debate to have uh, and to be able to push back uh, against what seems to be a sort of growing populist opinion and say, yeah. hang on. Just give this some context. You're actually wrong. Stop and think about it. Absolutely right.
Join us tomorrow when we will be talking to Zach White and Marcus Cribb to mark the 205th anniversary of the Battle of Waterloo. If you are one of these people that knows what the battle was and know it existed, but really can't tell tell anyone anything about it and would like to understand it more this is perfect for you because they went from point a to point b and everything in between and gave us a rundown of the 18th of june 1815 it's a really good chat don't forget you can become a patron of history hack for as little as a dollar a month just go to www.historyhack.podbean.com it will help us keep going in the aftermath of the coronavirus and we would really appreciate it as we would love to do so there now follows a public service announcement I'm Horatia Hornblower. And I'm Archie Kennedy. The simplest gift you can give in these troubled times is to obey orders. Indeed. The regulations are very clear in the matter. It is the duty of all of us to remain at anchor until the little people in the talking box signal you otherwise. You don't want to end up getting flogged. Good day to you. Good day to you both. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.